Uh, you can turn over your Bibles to John chapter 5 as I go through a few announcements here today. John chapter 5 is where we're going to start. And I do want to remind us of the, uh, the Latin service that we will be having on November 12th. Again, um, I can't say it in Spanish, but it's a, a Latin service that we're having in... <laughs> On November 12th, it's at City College. Again, it's at City College, uh, 160 Covenant Avenue, New York, New York. Uh, but it's going to be great. And eventually, me, eventually, me and Rosetta Stone will join one of those services. I'm not sure when yet. We're working on it. This Wednesday is going to be a men's prayer night here at the building, uh, 7.30. So like all the brothers, doesn't matter uh, what age you are, if you'd like to come and just be a part of a, a men's prayer group as we're praying to God, please come here. We'll have a great time of, of, of getting down on our knees and walking around and screaming out to God. It'll be a great time of prayer. Uh, this Friday will be, a, 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 well, I know a lot of the singles are gone, but not all of them. So we still got some here with us here. But the singles are going to have an event this Friday. Here, uh, it's going to be kind of a Thanksgiving event, so it's going to be a, a great time here, 7:30 uh, at the school. Uh, and this Saturday is Solid Rock for the teens. So if you have a teenager, uh, we're going to meet at Lehman College. Uh, be there at six o'clock. We'll have Solid Rock there during that time. Amen. This is a, a great day for the Hook family in a lot of reasons. One, it's great to have uh, my mother here from Omaha, Nebraska. She came down to visit us here. So uh, I, I probably won't share anything about our family today. We'll keep them on the down low. <laughs> Uh, but one of the reasons she's came is because my youngest 16-year-old daughter is about to make Jesus Lord today. So that'll be bringing the, the whole family together. So, amen. John chapter 5 is where we're going to begin. You know, Sir Isaac Newton's first law of motion states... Everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed on it. In other words, everything will stay the same unless something causes change to occur. Change isn't just going to happen on its own. Something will cause change to occur. And I think that in our lives, we all recognize that we need to change different things in our lives. And we all want to. We know it's there. But just because we know it and may want to, doesn't mean it's going to happen. And so what I want to talk to us about today, this is a very important scripture, story in the Bible on change. And it'll help us see the need, the urgency, and how we can go about changing different things. In John chapter 5, verse 1, it says here, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? 
Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down on ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, Is this the Sabbath? The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they said to him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for allowing us to have this time together right now. And I do pray, God, that you will just help our hearts to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to walk away with what you want us to walk away with. Not, not just words coming out of my mouth, but for people to hear what you want them to hear. God, this is not just another church service, another worship service. This can be a life-changing time for each and every one of us if we listen to your words. God, we love you, we thank you, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus had gone from Canaan to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the great religious festivals that was going on. And it's worthy to note here that Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, was going through the Sheep Gate, which is the gate into the city that they took all the sheep as a sacrifice to the temple. Which is what Jesus, the Lamb of God, was, a sacrificial uh, sacrifice for us. Once inside the city, he comes to this pool in Bethsaida. And lying around are all these sick people. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed, all these people are lying around. And legend has it, as they are all around this pool, an angel stirs the pool. And then the first one that gets into the pool as the ripples are going, they are healed of whatever it is. Blindness, lame, whatever it may be. So they're all crowded around this pool, just waiting to see it bubble up, waiting to see it ripple. So they can get in there. Now, whether or not that's actually true, that's who knows. But even today, people still believe and have hope in things such as that. Lourdes in southern France is a spa that many people believe heals. You go to this spa, you can go up there and you'll see the statues in, in, in the corner as well. But there's this spa there that people believe, okay, this will heal me. Even the Shrine of Guadalupe in Mexico City is another such place where thousands of people go there hoping to be healed. Hoping that something will change. And again, whether or not it actually heals them, we don't know. But what we do know is they have at least hope that something is going to happen. So Jesus is moving in the midst of all these people. People that are lame, people that are blind, people that are crippled, people that have leprosy. All these different people that are there. And as he's there, there's this guy who's been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. 38 years. Now, why Jesus healed this person, we don't know. The Bible doesn't even say what caused him to be an invalid for 38 years. We have no idea. But what we do know is that this guy did not go to Jesus for help. 
Many people in the Bible, Jesus, have mercy on me, or come help me, or come help my kids. This guy wasn't even in that area of Jesus help me. He just sat there, waiting. Now the thing to see, again, in verse 1, John 5, verse 1, Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews, and there in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now again, this is interesting. Why would Jesus heal this person particularly? And it's kind of fitting because the name Bethsaida means house of mercy. Now here's three things I want to point out for us today that we can learn from this situation. This man and where he's at and how Jesus interacted with him. But I'll also give you three solutions of how to help. I don't want to just tell you the problem. I want to also help you see the solution for the problem. So Jesus walks up to this guy. And in verse 6, he says, Do you want to get well? The first thing I want to talk to us about today is this. Do you really want to change? Now I'm going to wait till you after you write it down, if you're taking notes, or if you just think for a moment here. Because you've got to really think about this question I'm asking. Do you really want to change? See, a person can be set in their ways, 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old. And you get to that point, it's like, why change now? I've been like this for so long. People can be set in their ways and just start thinking, you know what, I'm not as bad as other people. Because we can all find somebody who's worse than us. That's pretty easy to do. You know, people can just think, I don't really, I mean, I'm a good person. I don't really need to change that much. I got, I got some things to work on. You know, people say, well, I'm struggling. Are you struggling? Really? Well, you know, I've been in a church for so long and so many years. Church just becomes a routine for you. Because you know you're going to go to church, so you're thinking, well, I'm not going to miss church. I'm not missing contributions. I'm not missing communion, so I'm really not that bad. I got some things, but I'm not that bad of a person. You got to remember, this guy did not seek out Jesus. So even in this situation, he thought, this isn't that bad. See, you can be in a situation and be sick for so long that you don't even think anything's wrong with it after a while. When Jesus saw him lying there, he went up to him and said, do you want to get well? Now here's the thing. You think somebody who's been an invalid for 38 years, that would be the dumbest question on earth to ask. Do you want to get well? Yeah, I want to get well. But see, Jesus doesn't ask dumb questions. So for Jesus to ask him this means this man needed to take responsibility and answer Jesus' question. Because Jesus said, do you want to get well? Which means you have to ask that question in your mind. Do I really want to get well? See, over the past 30 plus years, this man had been a beggar. He lived off the pity of other people. You know what? He had a pretty good life. Because all his needs were met because of his condition. Now, it has been said, even in other countries, people would cripple their own kids in order for them to be able to get more money from people out of pity. I mean, people would go to extremes to do different things. So here's this man. 
He's been asked the question, do you want to get well? See, if he got well, that means he would no longer get the pay from people. That means he's now going to have to go out, find a job, work hard, figure out what he needs to do. So he's sitting there thinking, why do all that when I can just sit here and get everything taken care of and done for me? And see, that's why Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Because in his mind, he was all right. He didn't like his physical condition because he wanted to get in the pool, but it wasn't something that was like, man, I have got to change this. That wasn't his case. He he got kind of content with where he stood over time. It's kind of like when you become a Christian. It's a scary thing because you're entering into a place that you never entered before. If I become a true disciple of Jesus, that means I can't act the way I normally act. That means now i got to start taking responsibility for myself. I can't just act this way and just think, oh, it's all right. I'm not a Christian. Now I realize I'm responsible. I'm hurting God. I'm not doing right. So some people don't become a Christian because they don't want to take responsibility. Some people really don't want to get well spiritually. It comes down to these kind of situations. If he got well... After 38 years of scratching and begging, now he's going to have to get up and do something. The fact is that some people would get so, would go to so extraordinary lengths to avoid changes in their lives, they don't even realize their mistakes. Dave Weber, a disabled Vietnam veteran, tells of a young man back in the 1960s who did not want to be drafted. So he had all of his teeth pulled to make himself unfit for military duty. But when he went to take his physical, they declared him unfit because he had flat feet. He had all his teeth pulled out for nothing. That really wasn't even the issue. But you see this in so many people today. Their lives aren't well. Listen to me. They are paralyzed in their heart. People are paralyzed in their mind. People are paralyzed spiritually. There are some people probably in this auditorium who feel like you can't change. Who feel like, I'm just not in a good place and I'm just going to work on it until Jesus comes back. Trust me, God didn't let his son die for you to work on struggling for the rest of your life. He let Jesus die for you so you have life to the full. He didn't say so you can just stay in this paralyzed state. I can't get over the fact of what happened to me when I was younger. I can't get over the fact of what happened to Some people are paralyzed spiritually. This is what he's saying. People can come, become satisfied with their lack of spirituality and growth. See, you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. Even after we're saved, we still have to understand, I still need to change and grow. You can be a disciple 30 years. You still need to learn to change and grow. The question is, do you want to get well? In other words, do you want to deal with the things in your life? Some people don't want to deal with life. They'd rather stay where they are and not face reality. 
So the question that Jesus asked the paralyzed man, which seemed ridiculous to some, was very relevant to him and to us. Do you want to deal with your life? So let me ask you, do you want to deal with your marriage? Do you want your marriage to get well? Are you content with just living with somebody else like two singles? Are you content with having attitudes with each other? Are you content with just arguing and fighting with each other? But you ain't going to miss church. You ain't going to miss communion. But you'll argue on the way home. You realize the devil lives in the car? The devil is in the back seat of your automobile. How many fights did you have in your car with your spouse? With your kids? They want something. Turn around. Put your seatbelt on. The devil lives in your car. Do you want things to get well between you and your children? We got issues with our kids. Do you want it to get well? Well, then what are you going to do about it? See, that's the real question. Everybody can say, yes, I want it to get well. What are you going to do about it? You know, we lived in Texas. We had issues in our marriage. I called. I texted. I couldn't get help. I drove my car over to the evangelist's house. And I just waited at the house for him to get home. Because I wanted this thing to be fixed. See, when you really want something, you'll find a way to make it happen. So the question is, do you want to get well? See, some people don't even know how to respond right now today, but I'm still, this is point one. I'm just getting warmed up. It's still my intro, kind of. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter five. Okay, if you want to get well, let me tell you something. This is how you can get better. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1 says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Stop all the gossip. It's shameful to even mention what they do in secret. Oh, did you hear about this person? Oh, did you hear about that? Verse 13, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, old sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. 
making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, if I'm not doing well, how do I start doing well? How do I change these things that I need to change in my marriage, in my parenting, in my personal life, in my prayer. How do I change these things? First thing you got to do is you got to have somebody holding you accountable. You got to have accountability in your life. Why? You know, people go to the gym. What do they do? They get a trainer when they're serious about making a difference. You get a trainer so they can at least teach you how to do things before you go off on your own and do those things. People that are in sports, they get coaches. You know what? We need to have other people in our lives to help look at your marriage, help look at your parenting, help look at just you spiritually. If you don't have somebody in your life, you don't want to get well. When I first came here, we talked about getting disciple partners. Everybody's gung ho, looking all over, looking, flipping over rocks, looking for somebody to disciple. And then that kind of wears off a little bit. And then it's like, ah, look, I can't find nobody. I'm good. I got five or six people in my life, all of them. We get, seriously, five or six people. That means none of them are deep enough in your life. Because if you get one that's deep enough, you don't need five other people being involved in your life. See, the issue is, do I just give a little bit here, here, and there so they don't really know me, but a little bit, a little bit. See, the question is, are you inviting somebody in your life so they can help you get well? Even this invalid did not invite Jesus in his life because he felt like his condition was okay. Listen, if you're not doing well spiritually, you need to get somebody involved in your life. Maybe you just need to take prayer walks with somebody. You can find somebody to prayer walk with you. You can come to this midweek devotionals we're having and have an hour and a half prayer time. See, I look at that and I think, well, if you're not showing up and this is a place you can get well, why are you not showing up? See, the issue is, do you want to get well? I'm having issues in my marriage. Okay, who knows about it? You don't have to tell everybody. We're not going to put it in the church announcement sheet. Oh, they got issues in their marriage. Look at this. That's horrible. That's terrible. 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 No, but you can find one other couple that you sit down and just put it all out with. If you want to get well, that's what you'll do. If you don't want to get well, you're going to keep it to yourself. Said I wasn't going to talk about it. So the question is, do you really want to get well? And only you can answer that question. If you really want to get well. See, I'm not talking about playing church, guys. We, people play church enough. I'm talking about getting well, being a light to this city. We not only need to decide whether or not we want to get well, but point number two, we must decide not to make excuses. Now, as we turn over to John chapter 5, go back there. I'm going to say that point again. 
Because there was like four people that said amen when I said that. Because we don't like to hear somebody tell us we're making excuses. But we're about to get into that in a minute. John chapter 5. Jesus asked him in verse 6, do you want to get well? Listen to his reply, verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down on ahead of me. Okay, now notice this. Jesus said, yeah, this is right at you. Do you want to get well? Sir, if I try to go in there, nobody's going to help me out. He starts going up. Would you just answer the question? Jesus said, do you want to get well? That's a yes or no answer. But instead, he starts telling Jesus all his problems. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. You don't understand. I've been trying to get down in this pool, and these people just be pulling me back because they know I can't do it. And You don't understand. They, everybody in the pool is against me. Nobody in this pool want me to get in his water. You don't see. I mean, he just starts going into all his stuff. I'm sure Jesus sitting there like, what is wrong with you? He wouldn't even answer the question. You know why? Because he was a victim. Now, we don't like to be considered victims, but victimization is something that's going on, even in the spiritual world. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? And he starts to list all the issues for why he can't do it. You know, you have to ask yourself, am I a victim? I don't know. Maybe I'm a victim. Maybe not. Let me see. Here's a quiz for you then. You know, victims endlessly repeat how they have been mistreated. Victim mentality is something that you, you want to make sure everybody knows how hard your life has been. And you're going to keep saying it over and over. And there are some people that I know I can look at them and tell them how hard their life has been because I done heard it so many times. It's like, seriously, I know your mom spanked you hard. I got spanked with a tricks box. Silly rabbit, this is that. <laughs> My mama, I, I, I'm going to bust you out one more day. One more day. Since I got you here, I don't get to say that back. One time, one time I told my mama, I said, I'm going to run away. She said, go ahead. You can back in and get home. Now, I can say, she didn't love me. She going to kick me out the house. She wouldn't feed me. That ain't what she said. But see, we can go back and play on all the things that happened for so long that we just, that's all we talk about is the negative. If you look for negatives long enough, you're going to find them all the time. But you know what? Sometimes victims live under the notion that life is fair. Life is not fair. But we think, well, that's not right. It should, it should always balance out. Are you serious? You've been watching Captain Kangaroo too long. Life is not fair. You know what? People that are victims, they find it difficult to forgive other people. You got to hear me on this because they feel justified in holding a grudge. It's okay. Victimized people have a hard time forgiving other people. You say, well, no, you don't understand. No, I do understand. But you don't understand, obviously, the grace of God, the blood of Jesus, how God forgave you before you even decided to change. 
Are you in touch with the blood of Jesus? We're talking about forgiveness. Well, if you knew who I was married to, you wouldn't say that point. Well, you got to understand, God put you with whoever you're with to help you make it to heaven. Because however jacked up you think that person is, you're probably more jacked up in a different area. So y'all balance each other out. You can jack up the whole car. Now you got both sides of the jacked up. People that have this victim mentality, they have a hard time keeping close friendships because they don't trust people. And you think about people that feel like, oh, the world's against them, and it's just like this invalid. Nobody around is going to help me in. Nobody's going to do this or that. It's not about everybody else. You've got to ask yourself, do you trust people? Oh, i got two or three close friends. In a church of 3,400 people, you got two close friends? Well, you don't understand. Everybody in the church, they just aren't giving to me. Nobody comes up and talks to me. They don't give me hugs on Sunday. How many people are you hugging on Sunday? See, we, we are real quick to point the finger. But when you point the finger, three come back at you and one at God. You can't be pointing the finger. We've got to understand, do you want to get well? Your situation, you need help. First of all, you got to make a decision to get well. And then secondly, you got to understand, this is so important, we got to stop making excuses. Remember this, change is never possible until we admit we have a problem. I heard somebody say one time, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't go to those meetings. Totally in denial. If I went to the meetings, I'd be an alcoholic, but I don't go to those meetings, so I'm good, Mr. Hooks. Look over at Luke chapter 7. So how do we deal with excuses? Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she bought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Jesus asked him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owe money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he counseled them to both. Which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the, suppose the one who had a bigger debt counseled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my hair, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. You look at the story and you got to realize she could have made all the excuses in the world. This woman was known as the sinful woman. That's how the town knew her, the sinful woman. 
It talks about her as a, as a prostitute. So she walks into the room with all these men. She probably even slept with some of the men in there. But she is more focused on getting right with Jesus than on anybody around. She could have said, you know what? It's, it's all men. I'll be the only woman in there, so I can't go. Oh, it's against custom for me to go in there. Oh, those men are going to talk about me when I walk in there. She could have made all kinds of excuses. But Jesus was more important to her than what people thought about her. This is one reason why we make excuses, because we're such people pleasers. We're more concerned about how people think or look at us than about what is right before God. It is important for us to not make excuses. If our focus is Jesus, we don't have to worry about all those other things. Point number three. We must decide to get well. We must decide. We need to make a decision to get well. Look back to John chapter 5, verse 8. John chapter 5, verse 8. We have to make a decision to get well. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now at this point, Jesus, do you want to get well? The man made all kinds of excuses, blah, 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 blah. Jesus said, you know what, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus didn't go into, let's talk about the pool, let's talk about this or that, or, you know, let me give you a three-month progress report, a plan of what you need to do. Jesus said, you know what, just get up and do it. Some of us need to just get up, pick up our mat, and go. The problem is we like sitting so much and we like all the attention that we don't want to get well. you got to make a decision. I'm going to get well. So you know what? I'm going to do something to change my situation. And this needs to be our heart and mindset. If you're not sure if you're right with God, don't just sit there and take a chance on eternity. You need to say, I need to study the Bible. I think I'm a Christian, but if you got to think you're a Christian, you better make sure you're a Christian. So let me get into the Bible. Let me study the Bible. You need to say, why do you keep asking me to church, but you never ask me to study the Bible? You need to talk to your friend about that. Something must be wrong. They won't study the Bible with you. You need to ask, you need to get in there and make sure you know what's right. At the same time, we got to make sure that we are able to live a life that inspires other people. We can't just say, I'm a Christian and I go to church every week. we got to live a life that is inspiring other people. We all have the same choice this morning. We can either listen and believe or listen and ignore. Jesus told him to pick up your mat and walk. He had a choice. Am I going to listen and believe what he's saying? Or am I going to listen to him and ignore what he's saying? See, the problem is we get kind of well, and so we think everything's fine. We don't get completely well. We start making progress, and then we think it's good. It's like going to the gym. We want to go to the gym. We want to work out. We want to be in better shape. And you go there the first day. Next morning, you are sore and hurting, so you stop. You want the results, but it doesn't feel good, so you stop. See, if you want to get well, you're going to have to make a decision to push through and to keep going. Look at Matthew chapter 5. I haven't lost you, have I? You're not saying, my Bible's too small, I can't hear you. I can't read that. We're not making excuses today, are we? 
Alright, look at how Jesus' attitude about things is here. Matthew 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now a lot of people don't like reading that because it talks about going to hell. Ooh, that would feel good, so let me just not do that. But you can ask yourself, how many of your friends have been telling you, you're too emotional? How many of your friends have been telling you, you're going off your feelings more than the Bible? How many people have been telling you, you know what, you need to change this and start being more responsible? I mean, if people have been telling you something for years, you got to ask yourself, do I want to get well? you got to make a decision on this. Jesus says, listen, I am serious about changing. If it's going to cause a problem, cut that stuff off. It's better to go into heaven lame than to hell burning because you refuse to cut it off. Look over at number 25. We need to drive this point home because it, it, it's only like a, a, a quarter of the audience listening on that one. Number 25. Number 25. I usually preach on this side of the podium. I'm going on this side of the podium right now. In verse 1, number 25. Walked up. That's- 
plague stopped. But because of that, 24,000 people had to die. You gotta realize something here. It's not just about you. There's a lot of people that suffer when we don't deal with our sin. A lot of people suffer. But you know what? It took one person saying, I've had enough. If Phineas didn't do that, more and more people would have died. But Phineas said, enough is enough. Let me ask you, when is enough going to be enough for you? Because we know it in our personal life. When are you going to say, enough is enough in my life? I had enough. It's going to change. When is enough going to be enough for you in the team, in the captain, in the singles, in America? When is enough going to be enough? You've seen enough. You see it going on. When are you going to stand up and say, you know what? I need to fight for God. This has got to stop right here, right now. When is enough enough? You got to hear, this is some, God takes this seriously. Let's go back to John 5 as we close out. John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus sought this man out. You got to understand that. This is Jesus who went looking for him to make sure he understood you are better now so you stop sinning or something worse is going to happen. Now I'm sitting there thinking, worse than being an invalid for 38 years. Woo! I don't know what that is, but I don't want to know. But Jesus sought him out and said, stop sinning. In the Greek, where it says stop sinning, it's the same thing as do don't keep on sinning. In other words, repent. To stop sinning, to don't keep on sinning, to change means to repent. So you got to ask yourself, how much longer before I make a decision, I need to repent? How much longer before you make a decision, I need to call this brother or sister to repentance? Well, they may not like it. They may get their feelings hurt. Or they may die and not make it to heaven. Which one is worse? It's up to us to be the Phineas of the Bronx region. It's up to you to be the Phineas of your household, of your mission team, of your workplace, of your school. It's up to you to be the Phineas for everybody else around you. It's up to you to make a decision. Enough is enough. We are going to glorify God. And we're not going to let Satan win this battle. You know, this is a, it's not just a worship service. It's for you to make a decision today. Today is the day that I'm going to be like Phineas. I'm going to make a decision. It ends today. Brothers and sisters, it's all up to us. It's up to us to make this decision. You know, this is a great day. I feel very emotional already knowing that my youngest daughter is about to get baptized.